are the days of a meatless burger patty that was flavorless and tasted nothing like the real thing. But we can't say the same about plant-based alternatives for sushi or caviar. Well, not at least until today. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Emily Steichenborn, and you're listening to Bottled in China. This is the podcast that dives into the delicious and fascinating world of food and beverage. We cover innovation, market trends, and culture with thought leaders from around the world. Today, we're joined by Blair Bullis, founder and president of Top Tier Foods, Inc., to discuss his plant-based food company that makes a Wagyu beef, a caviar, and even a seaweed-based alternative to fish roe comparable in flavor and texture to the real thing. Top Tier Foods, Inc. is based in Vancouver, Canada, and garnered international headlines earlier this year when world-renowned sushi chef Hidekazu Tojo claimed their plant-based alternative to Wagyu beef basically tasted like the real thing. Founded in 2013, Top Tier Foods has been making it their mission to develop innovative, sustainable, plant-based food that not only supports a healthy lifestyle, but that truly redefines traditional food categories. Now working with many of the largest sushi chains in the world, Top Tier Foods has developed a catalog of products that range from seaweed-based alternative to fish roe to siki kiona for sushi, and of course, plant-based wagyu beef. So, without further ado, let's jump into the podcast today. But before we get started, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Bottled in China, where you can reach out to me directly. Or if you love this podcast, share it with a friend. It really means a lot. And you can also subscribe on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Let's get started. Hi everybody! Welcome back to Bottled in China podcast. Today, I'm excited to speak with the president and founder of Top Tier Foods about replacements that are probably going to change my life as a sushi lover. So, Blair, welcome to the episode. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Now, I'm actually quite excited because you guys do different types of, you know, vegetarian or vegan or plant-based alternatives. Things like a plant-based alternatives to wagyu beef, also even to different things of fish roe, sushi, all of these type of things that I want to dive into. Things that, as a vegetarian for a long part of my life, and now I eat fish because of sushi, I'm excited to talk about because I think this might be a game changer, and it certainly is. You guys have really been, you know, getting on the headlines for a lot of great things and initiatives. So, what really was the inspiration in founding Top Tier Foods? Yeah, the inspiration was it comes from when I was、uh, just a child, and、uh, my mom would pick me up from elementary school,、uh, and my brothers, and she would take us home, and she would always cook a fully cooked homemade lunch for us, as well as a homemade dinner, and it was always well prepared using really good ingredients that were healthy. So we got this love of food from a very early age. She also taught us how to cook,、uh, and that passion kind of. Developed in me all the way through high school and into university, but it was when I got to university that I realized buying food for the first time for myself that the the food industry as a whole was not out there to provide something that was a balanced meal. They were really only there to provide something that was quick, delicious because they would pump it full of sugars and fats and salts, and and really cheap. So when I founded Top Tier Foods, I founded it because I wanted to create products that were better for you. 
And they're better for you in a multitude of ways. One of the major ways is plant-based, but that wasn't the full focus of ours when we founded Top Tier Foods uh, in 2013. We wanted to create products that were healthy, that they were convenient, uh, that you could prepare without a huge knowledge of background on food. And as we kind of developed top tier foods, what we realized there were certain trends happening uh, and that people were looking for sustainable options. They were really looking for ways that they could provide their family with a, a more balanced nutritional diet, but maintain a lot of the, the standards that they were used to. So we have transitioned over a period of time to become a fully vegan product company that is basically rethinking how traditional products are developed. And that means we're looking at animal protein and how we can create the same quality of animal protein, but made from plants. And we're not talking just a generic piece of beef. We're talking about the world's best beef. We're talking about some of the world's best caviar, the fish roe that you'd find uh, like a Masago or Tobiko. We're looking at ways that we can change people's minds. And instead of harming a fish in order to get the fish roe, we're actually creating this from seaweed. Or when we're looking at Wagyu beef, we're creating this from plants. We're incorporating the same kind of traditional elements in Japanese cuisine, but what you get is you'll get something that is much more sustainable. It's completely vegan, but it has that same textural, same traditional mouthfeel that you'd be used to. So yeah, we're very, we're very forward thinking in terms of what we can do with plants uh, now, but it's taken a, a long kind of pathway to get there. Well, you guys actually were found in 2013. So I think you guys were really almost ahead of the curve because, you know, these days, somehow there's a new headline about vegan alternatives or plant-based alternatives. And, you know, none of them, for me at least, really kind of caught my attention because I'm not a big, I don't really enjoy burgers, right? I don't really enjoy steaks, unlike a lot of people, but I do really love sushi and everything you guys are making are probably the one things that I miss the most when I was vegan. And I actually want to ask you right now is that, you know, what really excites you at this point? Is it just everybody getting on board with this? I think there's so much more people that are more open-minded these days. But what excites you about the industry at this moment? I think in the plant-based side, like what is there not to be excited about? Everybody is creating new, amazing products. The amount of investment that has been poured into the plant-based sector in the last five years has revolutionized what we've been able to do with uh, the technology. Everything is advancing so quickly that you're beginning to see products take shape that are so much more thought out than they would have been 10 or 15 years ago in the vegan category, where basically there was only a few players that could get away with you know, making relatively terribly tasting vegan products just because there wasn't a big enough vegan market to satisfy that. Now the market is so big that everybody from Michelin star chefs to major even meat producers are now looking at this space to figure out what they can do to uh, revolutionize it. I've been working with companies like cheese producers, artisanal cheese producers that are actually using uh, bacterial cultures to create real cheese, but their input ingredient is not a dairy milk. It is a plant-based milk. So you'll get real 
blue cheese, but that blue cheese has just been made with a cashew milk rather than, you know, a dairy milk that you'd be used to. So what you'll end up with is you'll end up with alternatives that are very similar in terms of the cheese sector, for instance, but you'll also end up with new cheeses, new flavors of cheese that you've never even thought about trying before that have distinct flavor components that could only be made and derived from something that is made with a plant-based dairy alternative. If you just look at the category by itself, the dairy category, uh, plant-based milk now attributes uh, to 14% of the milk sales in the US. So the market is expanding so rapidly that you'll get more and more investment, more and more people uh, trying to figure out how they can potentially make these alternatives that are even better than what they would be used to uh, in the dairy industry. Even though the dairy industry has been around for so long, the amount of investment and time and resources that is being put into it now will quickly make the plant-based dairy industry far superior to the products that you'd be getting in that traditional industry. It's just, there's so many more options. You don't just have to stick with cow's milk. You can be using almond milk, cashew milk, soy milk, a plethora of other nut milks uh, to kind of create new products. So there should be a much more diverse variety uh, of products uh, coming on board. So that's obviously just the dairy industry. There's so many more industries from fish to meat to birds and, and game that will be changed dramatically through the investments that are happening right now. So it is a very exciting time to be within this kind of plant-based space. Uh, and we're just trying to, to carve out our niche within the sushi area uh, and create the best possible products for this Japanese space. But that's kind of where I see it right now. It's just a very exciting place to be. Actually, that's really interesting, Blair, because a few years ago, I always suspected that these big companies would look at this vegan alternatives as either just a hindrance or maybe even just competition. But now what a lot of people are doing, they're including or investing into these companies and trying to include them into their portfolio as a way to reach a new market, right? Or an evolving market, which is becoming a little bit more enlightened to healthier foods or a healthier alternative. And it's interesting because like you said, once they come behind with their marketing budgets, with their, their route to market strategies, it really can actually help the industry. And for them, long term, they need to start realizing that there's not, it's not just a trend, right? People are kind of waking up to the possibilities. And as you mentioned, as quality becomes better, it tastes better as well. People get, are happy to switch actually. They don't mind switching if they don't have to sacrifice taste. And as you said, you're a foodie and taste is actually very important for a lot of people. Yeah. I think taste for us is the number one component that we're trying to, to figure out. We would like to be the world's best tasting beef alternative. The reason why we picked Wagyu was because Wagyu is known widely as being the world's best beef. It has that marbling fat texture that creates something that is so tender in your mouth that when you bite into it, it almost melts. Uh, it has that, that taste. It's uh, unique. It's buttery. These are the components that we wanted to add into our version of a meat alternative. Uh, and so when we did the research and development, we were trying to figure out what components were needed in order to create that mouthfeel to that texture. We're lucky enough when we're dealing with plant and plant technology that we are, we are not limited to what the animal eats in terms of how we derive flavor. We're, we have a multitude of avenues in order to uh, create these textures and these flavors. So when we went to develop Wagyu, we went 
to Japan because we understood that the Japanese are going to understand Wagyu beef better than anybody else. But they also understand how to manipulate the texture and the flavor of soy better than anybody else. So we wanted to use soy, such a traditional element in Japanese cuisine, that we wanted to use soy to be the base of our product. Uh, and then using cooking technology that have been passed down for centuries in Japan, it, where, how they make things like tofu or bean curd, how they use it in fermentation for soy sauce or miso, we knew that they had the technology, the traditional technology to actually create some of the world's best soy dishes. So we took some of that centuries-old technology to create something that had these flavors, these very traditional Japanese flavors using a very traditional Japanese ingredient. We used it kind of in parallel with some of the newer technology out there to create this really ultimately incredibly tender piece of beef, but just doesn't have any animal component to it. So that's kind of from the flavor perspective, what we wanted to do. And we were able to do that quite successfully, successfully enough to the fact that we are now launching this product at AFC in the US. And AFC is the US's largest franchise of Japanese restaurant and kiosks. And so they sell more sushi than anybody else in the US. So we're trialing Wegu now at uh, hundreds of their locations in the US. So hopefully this will end, end up being a great partnership uh, with us and AFC. And AFC is also owned by Zenchu Brands. And Zenchu Brands uh, own Japan's leading gudon chain in Sukiya. So there's a huge partnership opportunity here. So if you can create a product that actually has, you know, great textural components, great flavor components, then there's an opportunity to, to partner with huge companies because uh, just of the quality of the, the product that you've created in the plant-based space. Oh, certainly. I mean, that actually sounds amazing. Now, actually, it's being made in Japan, right? And are you looking to always keep it being produced in Japan? Or I know you're based out in Vancouver. Are you looking to bring it back to Canada? And or just, just cultural reasons in case you want to keep all the production of this Wagyu back in Japan? Yeah. So for us, obviously the Japanese component is a huge part of our identity as being a, a Wagyu alternative. We understand the traditional elements of Japanese cooking and how Wagyu beef kind of fits into their cultural identity. We don't want to take that away. We understand that continuing manufacturing in Japan is a really key component for us. We also understand that the research and development component is really key and having a Japanese oversee that development uh, is quite key as well. So we want to make sure that there's a continuing opportunity to produce this in Japan. Secondary manufacturing, we're looking at a lot of different kind of ways that we can incorporate this into new products. So we're looking at things like rice bowls, noodle bowls, putting this into different options for grocery uh, as well as food service. So there might be opportunities for processing outside of Japan with once we've kind of gone through the primary processing, the primary processing of creating the actual Wagyu will continue in Japan. A lot of the secondary processing can be done in whatever jurisdiction we're kind of we're looking to sell this product. So it gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of how we're going to operate in the long term. We can keep uh, we can have a lot of different manufacturing in a lot of different key jurisdictions. 
Yeah, no, 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 that's interesting. You know, one of the things also actually that you've mentioned is that this is going to be released out in the U.S. And if I'm not mistaken, also Singapore and Japan. Why Japan? I feel like they have a lot of of tofu alternatives already. Is there anything that you're trying to tackle with the Japan market? I mean, they do have access to some of, you know, the finest actual wagyu meats as well. And when I went to Japan, there's so many restaurants that actually specialize just in tofu-based dishes. That blew my mind because I always thought tofu as in, you know, that soft, rubbery feeling. And they had it tasting like cheese and they had different textures and they had crunchy and soft and everything in between. Why would you want to do this back in Japan or out in Singapore? Why those two markets in Asia specifically? Asia in general is a very important market for us. In Japan, obviously, we want to have that market identity in Japan. Uh, we have a lot of outreach from Japan of people that just want to try the product, see what it is, see how we've been able to replicate something that is very traditional to them. So we want to kind of maintain that. But in terms of our Asian sales and strategy, China is probably the, the larger market in general. Obviously, the Chinese market has a huge appetite for various luxury products of, from Japan. Although we're not really selling this as a luxury product, we understand our connection to Wagyu beef. Uh, and so we want to you know, make the Chinese market a really a strong market for us in the future. Singapore has kind of grown naturally. We didn't necessarily target Singapore originally, but just through media attention, through outreach, through companies that are just excited by the product, uh, we've had a lot of attention come from Singapore. Uh, and so this is something that we're, we weren't necessarily originally targeting, but now it's probably our number one market outside of the US uh, in terms of just number of inquiries for the product. So we're definitely working to satisfy that uh, demand. Uh, we're working hard to get the product down there and start kind of yeah, getting the product into the market in, in Singapore. Uh, but not only Singapore, we're working in Europe, we're working in the US, obviously, uh, in Canada. And eventually, once we've kind of figured out all these moving pieces, we're still a small growing company, we will, you know, tackle the, the larger Chinese market, but it will still take a little bit of time to get there uh, as we are growing and kind of learning to walk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that actually, you know, in China, I know it's such a big market, but, you know, when it comes to vegan alternatives, it's actually, at least from my perspective, I haven't seen it really take off a lot more in the last few months or years. But to be honest, it's such, although it's such a big market, meat is everywhere and meat is so important in every single dish. So actually, it's really interesting because I've seen, I was actually having a podcast with Sunadi, who's actually from Green Queen Media based in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong has tons of great vegan options. And you're right, Singapore too, and Australia as well. And, you know, when you think of like other countries and Thailand is actually growing as well. But China is just such a hard market to enter because everybody at the moment is still really stuck on, on meat. But I'm sure that's going to change as, of course, people have the chance to taste different alternatives and they really want to experience something new. But definitely don't worry if China's not on your, your first list. I don't take that at all personally because you're actually probably right to do that. Honestly, it's still, it's still growing and it's not, it's not what you think it is just yet. 
it is a market that we understand is growing and it will take some time to, to get there. I look at Omnipork uh, and just what they've been able to do in Asia and how they kind of have, have grown around the periphery of China uh, and they've been opening you know, stores. I think they started in Hong Kong. Now they've opened in Singapore, Taiwan, I think Shanghai recently. And so they're just, they're just slowly opening kind of their green common market around China and slowly they're kind of entering the market with their Omnipork with partnerships kind of in and around Hong Kong and some of the closer jurisdictions to the mainland China market. We're a ways away from being anything close to what Omnipork is. But the idea of that channel and how they've kind of marketed themselves, I like it. I like what they've done. I really respect what they've been able to, to accomplish. So kind of looking at that model, how they've been able to do it, is something for us to kind of strive and achieve. But definitely it takes a lot of time and resources to be able to do that. So it isn't the first focus, but it's definitely our long-term goal to get there. Actually, it's interesting you say that, Blair, because you're actually right. I think they've just entered the market, like, you know, really kind of doing their their big launch um, only for five months, perhaps. And also, I see that Starbucks now just has like a vegan beef alternative that just started five, six months ago. I think also, I, I want to say zero, but it could be a different brand. Or Omnipork, actually, you're right, is Omnipork. And that's just in the last five, six months. But before that, it really, there wasn't much going on in in the China market in terms of real, you know, people actually really moving it and shaking it very much, but it's just getting started. But Blair, I want to actually talk about something that I love to eat, which is sushi. And I'm sure a lot of listeners do as well. This is what you guys really, I guess, I guess started off with. You guys have, you know, replaced our favorite sushi options, which I'm already drooling and it's only 7 a.m. right now. So I probably shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, you're curating things like salmon and sturgeon alternatives and, and like you said, fish roll as well. And you're cre- you create something also called Caviart, uh, which actually uses sustainable harvest seaweed and advanced processing techniques to really create that kind of, you know, plant-based caviar. Wow. I mean, tell us about that. And personally, why did you choose to go into sushi, actually, when, like you said, you could have maybe started with Wagyu beef or, you know, people love to start with burger alternatives. Why sushi? So our very first sushi item wasn't even, it wasn't a plant-based or uh, it wasn't a protein alternative. It was a quinoa alternative for sushi rice. So we have a sticky quinoa. It was a proprietary sticky quinoa that we used uh, as an alternative to sushi rice. And so when this is how we really broke into the sushi market. First of all, we, we entered it with a grain that is actually a Canadian grown quinoa. And it has the same structural starch that sushi rice has. So whereas most quinoa will have a starch that's very similar to a long grain rice, this quinoa has starch that's very similar to a short grain sticky rice. That's kind of how we entered it. We launched this product and we got immediate kind of attention uh, around the world from all the major sushi chains. And so this product is something that we still sell. Uh, We still love it. But what we wanted to do is we want to expand into some of these animal protein alternatives. We think that the, the opportunity to market this is excellent just in terms of how people are perceiving sustainability. And so we partnered with a company in Denmark to create what is a Masago and Tobiko alternative. We call it Tisago. And it is a 
is that small orange fish row that you see on sushi. And this is a type of caviar that has been overfished to the point where there's actually a global shortage right now. So it's something that we're having, uh, rather than us doing the sales for this, we're having companies come to us uh, and ask for this product, uh, which is a great, which is a great place to be as a, as a salesperson. But for us, this is a sustainably harvested seaweed alternative. And so there's no animal harvesting needed. Uh, this is simply a sustainable seaweed alternative. And then with that same technology, we've been able to move into other types of caviar. So uh, obviously using this for salmon roe, but sturgeon caviar and other caviars as well. So there's a lot of opportunity there, but in the sushi realm, uh, obviously it's a tobiko and misago alternative, which is really interesting for the, for the sushi space. Hmm. And in terms of the taste, I mean, have you ever done any blind tasting, I guess, with some people who are real sushi lovers, just to see their opinion? Is it, I know you mentioned you try to get as close as, as possible for texture, but caviar is actually not that easy because it has that kind of, you don't want it to be overly rubbery, right? It has to be kind of cracking in a sense. So how, how do you manage that taste? Was there a lot of trial and error and, and how did you perfect it? Well, that pop, you want to get that pop, especially yeah, when you're understanding what tobiko is. It's really getting that really tiny fish row and then it has to have that really crisp kind of pop to it. So yeah, we have definitely sampled this to, to hundreds of chefs around the world. We are working with many of the large sushi chains right now to get this kind of going in their sushi production. It's a relatively new product in North America, but it's something that is you know really exciting for us. We were really focused on, on making sure that that flavor is as close to caviar as possible. And we have different flavoring components for different elements. So when you're talking like a sturgeon caviar, it's a little bit more on that buttery kind of melt in your mouth, mouth, mouth feel. And then when you're talking about uh, the sushi alternatives, you're, you're talking about something with quite, quite a pop, quite a crisp, mm-hmm. salty seaweed sea flavor. Uh, and that's, yeah, something that we were cognizant of and something that we tried to match uh, very closely. So I'm going to have to ask, because as a champagne lover and foodie, caviar, how much does it retail for in comparison to the real thing? (laughs) I mean, if I'm going to throw a party, is that probably a good alternative to get? (laughs) It's a very good alternative to get. I mean, yeah, the the cost is not comparable at all. Um, We're right now, we're below market pricing by quite a ways for even our uh, Tisago, which is the cheaper version. We're comparable to, yeah, we're we're about 50% of the cost of what Masago is currently going on the market for. So um, yeah, it is definitely a cheaper version uh, as well. So something that will keep some money in your pocket. Uh, and especially for, for sturgeon lovers, this is really something that, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't notice a difference, but you'd be saving a lot of money and helping a few fish along the way. So it would be a really smart choice to, to do. Well, as you're talking about helping a few fish, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because on your website, you guys do mention that Tosago and Caviar really tackle some of the most sensitive, sustainable issues in our current system. Can you tell us what are those issues in particular? I know you, meant, you mentioned overfishing, but what else are we missing and how are you guys solving this issue? I think in the end, we'll all have to figure out how to sustainably feed 10 billion people by 2050. I think that's what the concept of most of our products 
are kind of is kind of centered around. There's an unsustainable animal protein market out there right now uh, in terms of just industrial manufacture, industrial agriculture, industrial aquaculture. When we're thinking about 10 billion people, it's not just sort of the 10 billion people that we were, you know, five or 10 years ago. It's 10 billion people with a much larger middle class, with a lot, much larger population of people that are kind of accessing meat for the first time and meat in the same quantity that we would, that uh, the middle class is kind of used to. It's not, the earth is not does developed to sustainably have as many people eating as much meat as we are, are used to. So we're going to have to look at these alternatives. In terms of Tisago, this is a, the spelt uh, population has been overfished in Iceland. This is the, the type of uh, fish that has been used. And for us, we're able to provide that alternative that you can continue to eat the foods that you love. You wouldn't you even notice much of a difference at all, if at all. But this but instead of eating something that has been overfished and will continue to be overfished, uh, you'll be eating something that is sustainably harvested from seaweed. And so that is just a really easy example of how you can make a sustainable difference without changing any aspect of your day-to-day life. All you're really doing is making a switch for one, one product to another where you'll barely notice any difference, but the, the difference will mean a, a more sustainable ocean uh, for the future. The same can be said with uh, what you're doing when you're eating uh, a meat alternative. Obviously, there's huge environmental impacts on factory farming. Uh, so when you're, when you're thinking, should we make an alternative? Should we move forward uh, and try something that is a plant-based alternative to, to beef? You'll be making a sustainable choice that will have a huge environmental impact. So that over the next 10 or 20 years, we're going to notice that there are going to be more and more alternatives out there simply because the earth is just not built to handle uh, as much meat production as would be required to feed 10 billion people with a larger middle class in just 30 years. Well, you know, there's so much actually that we need to think about as we actually move into having more people on our planet and how we actually manage all these resources properly. So, you know, if we can all just do our part a little bit, and sometimes it's like you said, if we're not sacrificing taste, then there's actually not much to lose. And as you mentioned, the caviar somehow is, is much better priced than the real thing. So why not, right? <laughs> this maybe is our chance to enjoy more champagne and more and more caviars. But of course, my last question to you, Blair, is how can we get in touch with you guys? Where can we find all these delicious products? Because now that you say that, I really feel like I need to be stocking up, especially given that COVID is still happening. So why not pop open a bottle of champagne and enjoy some vegan sushi? Yeah, I like the way you think. Where can you get? Uh, well, definitely you can find us on just any of our social handles. So that would just be top tier foods or it would be Instagram.com uh, forward slash top tier foods or Facebook.com forward slash top tier foods. That's the easiest way. Obviously, our website is also top tier foods.com. So please reach out, make some inquiries into what we're doing. Follow us online. In the US, we'll be launching through AFC. And so you'll be able to, to start to see our products coming online you know, really, really quickly. So we'll be continuously updating where we're launching, where these products are getting rolled out. Hopefully you'll begin to see us uh, in Asia. We're not quite sure necessarily outside of Singapore where that's going to to be, but uh, it'll continuously expand as we're uh, expanding here. So that's uh, exciting for us. 
No doubt. Well, thank you so much. You know what? I'll put all the information in the show notes. So anybody listening, you guys want to go check it out. I'll put all the information. And as you said, now that it's available across most spots in U.S. for grab-and-go sushi or good, you know, good sushi, I don't think that there's any excuse why you can't go try it, right? And see for yourself. You know, make your own opinion. See, is this something that you want to be changing that's going to help you and also help the environment. So thank you so much, Blair, for being a, a guest on our podcast. And you know what? I'm looking forward. If I ever go back to Vancouver, I will bring the champagne and you can get the caviar. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Okay. I, I appreciate that. That would be wonderful. Awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Of course. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you love this podcast, make sure to share it with a friend or click five stars on iTunes to show your support. 